and we'll go ahead and get started. So, Doctor, is that working? I've got to get you a piece for it. No. Oh, yes, I'll sneak you back in and look it up. And if not, just do sure. the up and down. Okay, so just some housekeeping. And um, as far as if you're on the line, if your screen name or username is different than your full name, if you would please put in the comments your official name and then your discipline um, as far as if you are a paramedic, nurse, uh, you want CME credit, anything like that. I will be monitoring the chat box. And so I'm Lauren Green. And so I'll be doing that for you. At the end, you will see that there is a way to claim that credit. There's gonna be a QR code. And for those of you that are online, I'll make sure that that link is in the chat box so that you can go on, fill out a quick survey, and then also just a short little quiz on some of the content today. And so since we are offering CME and CE, we do have to read this statement. All individuals associated with this CE educational session have declared no relationships with a commercial interest organization. There's no conflict of interest attached to this learning activity. Dr. Cresci has no disclosures. And so for successful completion of this learning activity, lecturers or learners must attend the complete activity for CE credit with no partial credit available. And with that, if there's, is there any questions online? So if you have questions online, if you would please make sure that you are, your phone is muted and um, online so that we're not hearing any conversation or echoes or background noise, the same can go for us in here. And without further ado, I will introduce Dr. Freshy. Dr. Freshy comes to us. Um, you can give your background, but the last one we is just the word lost star. Uh, but he is one of, and something I've learned, he is one of our uh, neurohospitalists that specializes in epilepsy, so epileptologist. Okay, right? yes, okay, good. So I get bonus points. So we are very, very excited about this presentation. Very, very thankful that um, Dr. Freshy has looked at some of um, our, our wants and requests for topics. And seizures seem to be, when we're looking at the data, our number one stroke mimic that we see coming in. So this is a very, very valuable lecture. So um, thank you so much. Thank you, thank you so much, uh, Lauren. Uh, <clears throat> let's see. So, uh, so Lauren asked me to do this talk because uh, it's not only the stroke mimic, it's actually uh, a majority of the concerts that we see in, in, in the hospital. I mean, it's, it's either stroke or it's seizures, right? This is what we see. So. We just, you know, thought we'd talk a little bit about just the overview of epilepsy, what it is, and, and you know, we're not going to deal, we're not going to talk a lot about the management, we're not going to talk a lot about the different areas, sub-areas of epilepsy, but let's just get a brief overview for everything. So we'll start with this case. Okay, so, you know, one of the common scenarios, I mean, we see something like this all the time, 60-year-old man, he has an episode of seizure-like activity that was witnessed by the wife, and she was awakened due to the noise of the seizure. So she don't know how it started. We don't know anything about the onset. So she just noticed that, and she woke up because of that. So wife said that it lasted for a minute and a half to two minutes. She noticed some shaking 
of the arms and legs and there's some incontinence. So after that, the patient was not himself for some time. And all he remembered was he woke up in the ambulance. So he does not have recollection. There are no other symptoms. There's no prior history of seizure. So this is, you know, the patient who came to us now. What are we going to do in terms of knowing what it is, in terms of the treatment? So, all right. So we'll, we'll talk about the definition of epilepsy based on uh, International League Against Epilepsy. We'll talk about the classification of seizures, the, the latest one, which was uh, from 2017. Then we'll talk uh, about the focal seizures, generalized onset seizures, and why it is important to know about the onset and uh, about the role of EEG with seizures, uh, what else it could be if it is not a seizure, provoked and unprovoked seizures, then first-time seizures, do we treat it or do we don't? And then, was there any impairment of consciousness? And if you have any question, you know, you can interrupt me and you know, we can discuss about that. All right, so what is an epileptic seizure? So an epileptic seizure is a transient occurrence of signs or symptoms due to abnormal, excessive, or synchronous neuronal activity in the brain. So these are signs and symptoms which are observed by the observer or the patient himself. And because of what is pathophysiologically, there is something abnormal in the brain. So the brains are, the neurons are doing something which they are not supposed to. So that is the synchronous activity that we see in the brain. So, you know, the International League Against Epilepsy also came up with this conceptual definition. And they stated that it's a disorder of the brain characterized by an enduring predisposition to generate epileptic seizures and by the neurobiologic, cognitive, psychological, and social consequences of the condition. So it is an enduring predisposition. So it is an ongoing thing. It's not one seizure. It is an ongoing thing. And there is a tendency to generate, a tendency to generate the epileptic seizures. And those of us you know, who care for these people, we know that there is not only the epileptic, uh, in the, the epile epileptic part, there is also a non-epileptic part, which is the cognitive issue, the psychological issue, you know, the social consequences. So all this is what they deal with. So now in terms of the practical definition, the operational definition of epilepsy, so this is defined as at least two provoked or two unprovoked or reflex seizures that are occurring 24, more than 24 hours apart. So the seizures has to be unprovoked. They have to be at least two, more than 24 hours apart. Don't count if they, have, they are having multiple seizures within the 24 hours. The second one is unprovoked seizure or a reflex seizure. And we're going to talk briefly about the reflex seizure. So unprovoked seizure and a probability of further seizures of at least 60% occurring over the next 10 years. So this 60% this number came from a trial, the first seizure trial. And basically what they looked at is they saw all the patients who had one seizure and they looked at the data, the, you know, the imaging, they looked at the EEGs. And if they found any abnormalities, so that number actually came up as 60%. So if someone has one seizure, but you see some involvement of, in the imaging or the EEG, then yes, this is epilepsy. And the third one is the diagnosis of epilepsy syndrome. This is something we see in patients who have genetic epilepsy. Now, we see it all the time in the epilepsy clinics. So 
this is, you know, why this is important, these numbers, so like two unprovoked seizure, 24 hours, or 60%. So it is because this is, this is going to help us to the treatment, to guide for the treatment. So that's the definition. And, uh, you know, this is something which uh, I knew from before, but I see it all the time. In Georgia, you know, you have long, you know, tall trees. And, you know, in summer, the, the heat, not the heat, the sunlight is actually filtering through the trees. So there is a type of epilepsy which actually can be provoked because of this. And those are reflex seizures. They are seizures, reflex seizures that we looked in the definition, like reading epilepsy, hot water epilepsy. I mean, they are different kind of triggers. And they are not, they are epilepsy. They need to be treated per definition. So in 2017, uh, this is when they actually uh, divided, or not divide, they actually renamed the seizures. So they can, they are focal seizures, focal onset seizures, generalized onset seizures, or unknown onset seizures. And this is the newest so far that the latest uh, uh, classification we have. It looks, this is very, uh, to me, it's very intuitive. It, 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 the way it is actually described, you will understand what it is. It's a focal onset. They used to be called as simple partial or simple complex. So it's hard, you know, for other people to get their head around what is simple partial. But this, you know, this uh, classification, you can tell if it is a focal onset, which means that the onset is from one part of the body or one part of the brain based on the EEG. And then whether it is with awareness or without awareness. So we're going to talk about these in detail. But in general, most of the seizures, most of the, the seizures, are focal onset. Two thirds of the seizures are focal onset, and generally one third are the generalized onset seizures. Again, it depends on the age and other factors, uh, but this is just a rough number. So, focal onset seizures, you know, they are focal onset. They start from one place. Now, clinically, if someone is having shaking of the limbs and then he has a full blown seizure, that is a focal onset. Electrographically, you look at the EEG. And you see some, you know, rhythmic activity in certain part of the, you know, EEG, and then you see it generalizes. So we can tell by that this is a focal onset. Now, with, is that with awareness or without awareness? So awareness is not consciousness. You know, we cannot, we should not confuse it. That did he lose consciousness? Awareness means that was he able to have meaningful interaction with the environment? If patient is he didn't lose consciousness, but he was not having a meaningful, uh, you know, uh, uh, interaction with the environment. So he is some impaired awareness. So these are the ones in which they are focal onset and they were having the awareness. They used to be called simple partial seizures. And uh, the ones FIA, which is a focal with impaired awareness, they used to be called complex partial. Again, they are focal seizures and they will not have meaningful interaction with the environment. So they are focal, they are complex partial. So, and, you know, uh, in the past, they used to be called petite mall and grand mall. I mean, you know, the patient, the parents, you know, the older patients, the epilepsy, this is what they come up with. You know, they tell you this is petite mall. So let's look at a few examples of the focal onset seizures. So now, you know, this is the, now we are talking about the motor component. So if you look at, this brain, you know, uh, the picture here, the involvement of premotor area, motor area or FMA 
this leads to this gives gives like clonic activity. Clonic is like you know when they have shaking activity, and it can give myoclonic activity or tonic, orbitofrontal or medial frontal. So more frontal lobe they will give hyperkinetic movement. Sometimes they will actually describe as cycling movement. It's not just this shaking; they will have cycling movement when they are like sleeping at night. So this is usually the, usually the frontal lobe seizures. A lot of times people think that they are just faking it. It's, it's not real because it can be it can be PNES. But these are real seizures. They are frontal lobe seizures. Frontal eye field, you know, we see it all the time. We talk about deviation of the eyes, right? And we are okay. This is a stroke. This is a seizure. Frontal eye field seizures will always give rise to deviation of the eyes, contralateral to where it is coming from, right? And then I have this uh, uh, just a picture. We are not going to go in depth. Of the the pathway, but just to you know give you a brief idea, the right frontal eye field, which is the right frontal eye field right somewhere here, it will cause the activation of the gaze, which will move the gaze to the left side, right? So it's contralateral side. So this is something just you know try to keep in you know keep in mind and remember that if the seizure is happening on one side of the frontal eye field, the eyes will move towards the opposite side. In general, like someone like us right now, because both the frontal eye fields are active, it's cancelling the effect of each other, and the eyes are looking in the primary gaze, which is the front. But what happens is, look at this case. Look at this, you know, patient. So, looks like he has a seizure-like lesion in the left side, where it says irritative lesion, and because of that, it is actually. Pushing the eyes, the gaze is deviating to the contralateral side, to the right side, right? Because right, you know, in, in baseline, both are both are at equilibrium, but now because of seizure, which is the abnormal synchronous neuronal activity, it is more active on the left. So now the eyes are looking towards the right side. What happens in stroke? Again, both are in equilibrium, but now the left side is having a stroke, which is a disruptive lesion. So the brain cell is not working. So now the right one will predominate, right? And the eyes will move towards the side where stroke is. And you know you can see other signs like you know there is hemiparesis and other signs of a stroke. You know if you're talking about stroke. So this is something you know important. I thought you know just to add this picture so you know we can kind of get some uh, revision of what we already know. Medial temporal lobe is uh, another uh, part of the brain. It is uh, uh, notorious. To cause seizures, uh, usually the seizures that we see, they are like meaningless motor movements. You know, sometimes they will have lip smacking. I mean, they will have motor movement, but it will be lips like lip, meaningless lip smacking. Sometimes they will be picking. You'll see, you know, they start the seizure with you know some picking, you know, picking activity. Sometimes they'll be pulling. Sometimes, depending on involvement of the reticular activating system, there could be a behavioral arrest. Again, they're not unconscious. They are just Not there. It's just not there. So that's usually the medial temporal lobe. What it does. Sensory, you know, as we know, if the sensory, you know, involved part of the brain is involved, it is going to cause the sensory, you know, symptoms. It will be tingling, numbness on the other side. There is a, a seizure type. It's called musicogenic seizures, and usually this happens when there is involvement of the. The auditory cortex. Again, stimulation of the auditory cortex will sometimes give like music in their ears. They feel like 
their hair music. Sometimes if it does not propagate, it will stop there. But sometimes, and if it propagates, they will, of course, they will not, you know, they will not be aware, they will lose awareness and all that. But that's another important thing to keep in, you know, keep in mind. So depending on what area of the brain is involved, you will have those, those seizures. All right, so olfactory is, uh, again, the sensation. It, it's hard. That, that's what they will present with. And again, if, if the seizure is a focal seizure, maybe it will not propagate further beyond the auditory cortex. So we will not know if it is a seizure or it's an auditory hallucination. But, but yeah, I mean, usually these seizures, they propagate and, you know, they will have this automatisms and all those, those, you know, the subsequent findings. So, which, which, uh, which one should I? The right one. Okay, perfect. Yeah. So now going back uh, to the, the olfactory, this is another very common, uh, those who have uh, seen these patients sometimes. Say that they feel like rubber burning. That's that's the symptom they actually present. Interestingly, you know, at Grady, when I was there, most of the patients, and which I never heard from other places, at Grady they were saying that they feel like blood, blood smell. You know, so these these are you know the initial presentation, the focal seizures. That's how it starts. So that can tell us that where the location of the onset is in those focal seizures. Vertigo can be a, again another you know presenting or a, a first symptom. Depend and it again which area of the brain is involved. And then we have this autonomic uh, you know uh, phenomena. Sometimes we see people with flushing. You know sometimes onset of seizures they'll have goosebumps. And actually uh, I think it was the week before when I was on there was a patient who had a temporal lobe uh, bleed uh, quite some time ago, and she was having these episodes of tachycardia, like she was going all the way in like 150s, 160s, lasting for a few, like a minute or two, coming back. And so these are autonomic. Usually the insula can cause that. So we did the EEG and the patient did have seizures. So, you know, so depending on what area of the brain is involved, it will cause those symptoms. And if it propagates to involve the whole brain, then you will see the generalized you know, tonic-clonic or bilateral tonic-clonic activity. You know, there's also some psychic manifestations. Sometimes they can have uh, deja vu. It's, it's, it's a sensation, it's a feeling of deja vu, which you, which they feel like they are already here. This, 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 like, like, like we are here in this environment. They feel like it has already happened before. It's a French word, deja vu, and there's another terminology called yame vu. And then there's still fear. And that has been also very commonly seen in medial temporal sclerosis. And it is uh, it's still in amygdala, which is the part of the uh, PEPES circuit. So that was uh, about the focal onset seizures, how we can see the onsets. Now, going back to the generalized onset, six things which I always remember, I don't have to remember everything or anything, but what I remember in generalized onset is tonic, clonic, 
tonic, clonic, myoclonic, atonic, and epsonic. And then there'll be combinations of tonic, myoclonic, clonic, those, you know, but these are the six ones which I try to remember. And why it is important to know about these onsets, in generalized onsets, this is where we see the, the you know, the, the interesting part of the seizures. You know, if, I don't know if you have noticed when someone is having the generalized tonic-clonic seizures, they will initially be stiffened like a board. They will, I mean, usually most of us, I mean, based on experience and all that, we don't focus on, on the initial tonic part. All we focus is the generalized clonic part. We see some shaking and we call it generalized tonic-clonic. No, this is the initial part that actually comes in which they'll be stiffened like a board. In generalized onset, they'll be having ictal cry. The muscles are contracting, or, or the respiratory muscles are contracting, the vocal cords are contracting. They will produce a very different, you know, like a cry. And they actually sometimes can feel that, hear that, very unpleasant, you know, uh, sound. They bite their tongue in this tonic phase. In the, uh, they have vertebral compressions, posterior dislocations of the shoulder. And the pain, you know, after the seizure has stopped, they will feel severe pain, severe generalized body ache. So this is everything, you know, they're all these signs of seizures that we see is a tonic phase. And then comes the, the clonic phase, which is emerges afterwards. And you see a low amplitude, high frequency clonic jerking, which gradually becomes generalized and higher amplitude. So after that, you see the post-ictal suppression of the pain activity. And this is the time where you see this noisy, wet breathing. It's called stertious breathing. That is after the clonic phase. The positive phase sometimes can prolong and it can actually shut down the cardiac and the respiratory centers of the brain, leading to sudden, sudden uh, death in epilepsy, the pseudep. This is a very important thing. We have seen people dying from, from seizures which is the sudden unexpected death in epilepsy. So this is the prolonged uh, uh, clonic uh, post-sectal phase. And then we have the unknown onset, uh, which, is, which can be motor, which can be tonic-clonic, uh, uh, and it can be unclocked, right? There's not uh, much information. So why it is important to know the onset? Because we need to treat the patient, right? We need to, to, to give something. And we need to know what to give the patient. We cannot just give any medication. Why? Because if you look at this, this, this table, there are two different types of seizure medications. One is a narrow spectrum, and the other one is a broad spectrum. The narrow spectrum medications will work only on the focal onset seizures. And if you use these medications on generalized onset seizures, it probably make it going to make it worse, pseudo-exacerbation. Whereas, if you use the broad spectrum medications, it can be used on both types. So this is important. One size does not fit all here. You have to know, or you have to try to get as much information as you can about the seizure. If it is a generalized onset seizure, and you are giving the patient carbamazepine, that's going to make it worse. Or, or gabapentin or Wimpact, you know? So we need to know about the medications, what is their role, how, how it works, and what kind of seizure we are dealing with. Now, the other you know, reason to know about the onset 
is in the epilepsy surgery. If these patients, if we know where the seizure is coming from, and most of the time in major temporal sclerosis, they actually, after they fail two medications, they actually can go in and ablate that area where the seizure is coming from. How do we know about the seizure where it's coming from? Of course, the EEG will tell you. But before the surgery, they actually do the, the stereotactic EEGs, the SEGs. They implant the electrodes, the one that we put on the, the scalp. They implant that in different areas of the brain based on semiology, based on the EEG. And then they see exactly where it is coming from. And then they go in and they ablate that. So this is something which is very uh, popular nowadays. It's very beneficial. Uh, Emily is one of the leaders. Uh, Cleveland Clinic used, it was doing it, but they were doing level lobectomy. They will take the whole lobe out, the temporal lobe. At Emory, what they do is they ablate it with laser. So this is important. We need to know where the seizures are coming from. So now, you know, seizures, seizures happen, we do EEGs. So what is, how good is EEG? What is, you know, in terms of detection? So there are, you know, for EEG to detect seizure, there are two important factors. One is which, how much of the area of cortex is involved. Suppose if the seizure is a small area of the cortex, just, you know, it's very small, like one centimeter. It's very cortical, right on the cortex. But it is a small area, just like a centimeter. Even though the electrodes are right there, it won't be able to pick that up. It has to be, it has to be at least 10 centimeters square, which means not 10 by 10, but 3 by 3. It has to be this much size of the, the cortex to cause seizures that will be picked up by the EEG. So that's important. Now, second thing is where the seizure is coming from, what's the focus? So the location is important. Location, location, location. So if it is deep in the medial temporal, the EEG is not going to pick it up. It won't show it. The patient is coming with seizures. He had typical semiology, but you do EEG, it won't show anything. If it is in the insular region, again, the one which gives, which gives those autonomic uh, picture, it, it's not going to pick up. So EEG is, is great, but it will not always pick up. So it is important that a careful, you know, observation. Now, you, do, you know, the patient had the EEG in the first 24 hours. All we can get the likelihood of finding the discharges is 50%. It's not going to be, okay, the patient is having a seizure. He came in within 24 hours. It's going to be only 50%. You, you get the, the likelihood of having a discharges. And it gets worse in when it is past 24 hours. When we have a 24-hour recording, there's increased likelihood up to 80 to 90% then that it can actually pick up the seizures. And of course, if there are more seizures, for more routine EEGs, then it can also increase the likelihood. So this is, we are talking about those discharges that can be picked up by EEG. And we already know that there are certain areas of the brain in which you do EEG, they will not even pick it up, even despite of, uh, yeah, go ahead. After the seizure, yeah, yeah. So if the patient had seizure two days ago, then the likelihood is going to be 20 to 55. 
But if suppose if we, he had this uh, seizure within the last 24 hours, then it's up to 50%. Right. So again, you know, important thing is we know that it's the size of the, the focus that matters. It's the, the, the location. It has to be a superficial focus to be captured by the EEG. But the most important thing is the good history, the myology. We need to know what kind of seizure he had. And, and sometimes, you know, I ask the patient all the time, do you have a video? Did you get a chance to videotape that? Because you can actually decide based on just by looking at that, if that was a seizure or if it was something else. So I ask it all the time. Even today we have a patient, uh, likely PNES. I asked him, the husband, do you have a video? And I, he said, no, but then I told the nurse, she does, she does it again, just videotape that. Because that can give you a lot of information. Even epilepsy surgeries, they talk about semiology. They, take, they keep talking about semiology, semiology, semiology. And sometimes, although the EEG shows something else on the, the stereo EEGs, but if the semiology is some, some different, they actually go with semiology. So history is important. All right, so now we need to find out, we need to know if it is on, it is the event that happened was a seizure. And if it was a seizure, was it a provoked seizure or it was an unprovoked seizure? So, you know, the big ones uh, that actually can look like a seizure, bilateral generalized, bilateral tonic-clonic, tonic-clonic is just like the generalized tonic-clonic, the GTCs. They can have psychogenic non-epileptic spells, PNES. Syncope is a, a big in differential. Then, you know, they have movement disorders that can look like seizures, sleep disorders. And then there is a limb-shaking PIA that can present and then can look like a seizure. So, but what are the big ones? These three are the big ones. It could be if someone comes with generalized tonic-clonic activity, it could be either three of these. So I'm not going to talk a lot about it now. It's another talk on its own. It's, it's a lot of information uh, we need to know, but they are real. The PNES is real. The involuntary, they are not doing it. They cannot just control it. It's seizure-like activity, uh, some dissociative uh, origin etiologically. But as per definition, it is not related to the synchronous neuronal activity that we saw in the very first slide, which defines an epileptic seizure. So the other one is the syncope. In syncope, again, good history is important. If the patient is having diaphoresis, paler, lightheadedness, tunnel vision, ringing in the ear, palpitations, warm sensation. And most importantly is how long was the postictal state? So this is important. So, you know, uh, there are some features that we can use that can help us. And these three are the big ones, but they are the ones which are not important. They're not helpful. Urinary incontinence. You know, we have seen patients referred to us at the epilepsy clinic, because the doctor thinks that it is syncope. You know, the way he described the event, it was syncope. He had, you know, tunnel vision, warmth, failure. It looks like syncope to me. But the patient has urinary incontinence. That's why I'm thinking it could be a seizure. So the patient was referred to us. Urinary incontinence can happen equally in psychogenic non-epileptic spells, in syncope, and in uh, seizures. So it is not helpful. Now, Eyes rolled back. Oh, did his, you know, we, we focus a lot. Did the eyes roll back? Did the, you know, uh, when he was having the shaking? It can happen. It is not helpful. 
it can happen in syncope, it can happen in PNES. So, and the third thing is injuries, they all can have injuries. They all can have injuries. But if you go back, the ones that we looked before, posterior dislocation of the shoulder, vertebral compression, and then, you know, fatigue from the well salva that they are doing. A surgery of bleeding, yes, these are the ones which will help us to know that, oh, this is before the seizure. All right, so this is what, what I use. This is, uh, you know, I think this is, for me, this is the most important thing. And the reason that the way I talk to them and I ask them is, okay, tell me what do you remember the next thing after the event? And sometimes they will tell you, I remember waking up and people were running around me and they were someone trying to call the 911. So he's, he fell down, had a syncope, just woke up and he remembered everything. So this is likely not a seizure. But on the other hand, these patients, sometimes the ones with seizures, they will probably not even remember coming to the, to the ambulance, going to the ambulance. They will probably say, oh, I woke up in the, in the hospital. So a long post-sexual phase. So this will help you, you know, differentiate. Looks like this was a seizure versus this was just a syncope. So that's, you know, what I use all the time. What is the next thing you remember? So that's what it is. And then, you know, we need to know if it is a seizure, was it a provoked seizure or was it uh, unprovoked seizure? So these, you know, febrile seizures, alcohol withdrawal, benzos withdrawal, metabolic derangements, syncope, or seizures after within the first week of a stroke or trauma or infection, they all provoke. And generally, we don't treat them. We don't use anti-epileptic medications to treat symptomatic seizures because these seizures, the provoked seizures, they're also known as acute symptomatic seizures. And symptomatic, acute symptomatic means there's a temporal profile from the brain insult to the seizure. So it is usually within the seven days window. So if something is happening within seven days, we generally don't, don't see that. It's alcohol withdrawal, you'll see the patient coming with withdrawals. You know, say on day three, you'll have a seizure. So we'll treat the underlying cause, right? Um, generally, we don't, but sometimes depending on patient's preference and anxiety, especially with traumatic brain injury, sometimes we can start patient on, uh, you know, anti-epileptic regimen for short term. Usually with TBI, but the others, we don't treat them. So now the question is, when do we treat? So this is the graph. Uh, and if you look at the first seizure, you can see that within 6 to 12 months, the incidence, was, the incidence of recurrence, the risk of recurrence was about 20%. But if you look at the risk of recurrence in the second seizure, it's up to 60%, right, you know, in the six to 12 months. So within one year, the risk of recurrence is up to 60%. And if you keep going further, so if within 60 months, or like five years, it is up to uh, close to 72, up to what, 87%, if you look at the, the confidence interval on uh, figure of 59 to 87. So what it means is, if the second seizure has happened, the risk of third one is very high. So it means that he's epileptic now. You can label, you can diagnose the patient as epileptic and treat the patient. 
Whereas with the first seizure, because the risk is relatively low, we differ, we do not freak. This is what the guidelines are, but, but according to A and sometimes based on patient's preference or your, you know, uh, you know uh, uh, what you think, it, sometimes some people can be treated even after the first seizure, although the MRI is normal and the EG is normal. So, so again, this is from the IL, uh, International League Against Epilepsy. So in the absence of clear information about the recurrence risk or even knowledge of such information, which means that the MRI and EEG are, are unremarkable, the default definition of epilepsy originates at the second unprovoked seizure. And, you know, if, if it is epileptic after second seizure, that's the time to, to start the treatment. And again, the second one is if it is one unprovoked seizure, but you are seeing MRI changes. You are seeing EEG, not you know some discharges. Go ahead and treat the patient because the risk is sixty percent for that patient. Nocturnal convulsions, uh, based on the trial, it has shown higher association with epilepsy. It depends on the treating physician, but in general, because of high association, I go ahead and treat the patient after the nocturnal convulsions because of the increased likelihood for these patients to have more seizures. So let's, let's go back and look at a couple of scenarios. Very straightforward, just for, because we see these patients all the time, so we kind of, you know, how, how to take care of these patients. So this is the, the first patient. It's the same scenario that we saw initially. And uh, the patient is a 60 years old man, seizure-like activity, the wife saw it, lasted for one and a half to two minutes. And then he had incontinence of urine. And after that, he was not himself. And he remembers waking up in the hospital. He does not have recollection of the event, no other symptoms. You, you know, after he, he was back to his baseline, you ask questions. He said, oh, yeah, I remember I had a seizure 10 years ago. So in this scenario, you know, CBC, all the blood work is normal. MRI is normal. Uh, there is uh, no provoke, you know, causes for provocation are there. There's no, you know, urine toxicology or anything. What do you guys think? Do we need to treat this patient? Exactly, because this patient had a history of seizure one time 10 years ago. So now it is two seizures for definition, which are greater than 24 hours apart. So yeah, go ahead and treat the patient. And it's another topic. It's a long topic about what medication are we going to use. That I didn't, I didn't include that in, in this talk. So now this is a, another scenario. And similar patient, everything is the same. There is no history of seizure. So just one seizure, that's all he has. MRI is normal, EG is normal. Do we treat them? No, right? Because it's just one seizure, we'll wait for the second seizure. Yes, exactly. We, if it is a nocturnal, I would treat that. But the question is, is that a nocturnal? Because, no. No, the wife did not see the onset. So remember, the wife woke up from that. So we don't know what, what happened. The husband was awake or was he sleeping and had the seizure. So, but if it was nocturnal, yes. So now, this is the third scenario. Uh, same patient, just one seizure. And uh, um, is this, you know, a previous seizure in the past, all the blood work, urine, everything is normal. 
you know, we did an MRI, which is part of the seizure workup. And the MRI looks like this. You know, of course, you know, you go ahead and treat. Look at the size of this, this tumor, the ring enhancing tumor. You see the, you know, the swelling surrounding it and how it is pushing. So yes, this is most likely the culprit. So this base, besides treating this, treat the seizure. So we'll start the patient on anti-epileptic medications. And in this one, his MRI is normal this time, but when we did the EEG, it does show these discharges. And here you can see the, the arrow at the bottom. So this is the right uh, temporal, so you can see these discharges. So one seizure, abnormal EEG. Go ahead and treat that, right? So one last thing and we'll be done. I know, you know, it's long time and people are, you know, so that's fine. So this is the important point, impairment of consciousness. And you know, these patients, not only, you know, when they have seizures or any condition, syncope, any anything, if there's impairment of consciousness, this can affect most importantly driving their, you know, uh, their workplace, you know, they are driving, you know, heavy machinery or whatever kind of work they are doing. So what is important in this, you know, there are laws for different states, you know, in Georgia, the law is that if someone has loss of consciousness, impairment of consciousness, he cannot drive for six months. If you go to Texas, they have like a three month period after that event. I mean, so we tell the patients, we tell them they don't like it because some of, some of them are working and they're like, how am I going to go to work? But I have not seen anyone that who would not agree to do that. We are, I, told, I tell them, you know, we are not cops and I'm not going to put anything on your record. But this is a recommendation. This is a rule for the state law. So driving is not recommended. And if you get caught somehow and if they found out that this is you know you had you were at the hospital because of impairment of consciousness and they actually told you so this is a problem this is my you know dot phrase which uh, you know when i send the you know you know on the seizure patient so i always you know put this at the end about driving uh, we talk about uh, you know anything like climbing to the heights don't go on the roof don't even take a bath in the bathtub what if you had a seizure there and you drown just in your own bathtub or swimming. If you want to do it, you have someone, you know, around you. Don't do it alone. And then, you know, avoid standing close to open fires and heavy operating machinery without supervision. And if the seizures are longer than two minutes, call 911. Or if you're having back-to-back -back seizures. Go ahead. Right. If there is impairment of consciousness, whether it was provoked or unprovoked, this is per law. This they they are not supposed to try. Yeah. Yeah. Again, you know. Uh, and especially if people don't like it because a lot of them are working and uh, it's hard not to drive. You know, sometimes this is 
not doable, but this is a recommendation, and I think it is it is more for safety. And imagine, you know, one of us or someone who is driving and has has again impairment of consciousness or seizure or whatnot. It can it can lead to you know something like this, right? So I think it's it's safe, and uh, we it's our job to to explain it to them, not just saying you cannot drive, but to explain it to them so they understand what we want and what is good for them. So I think uh, that is all that I have. Any question? I'm sorry, I'm not, not all. So it's not that it just needs to be at night. They need to be sleeping. Right. And you know, you see the uh, seizure. And usually the sleeping the seizure and sleep actually are hyperkinetic, yeah, they're frontal lobe seizure. So generally they have like like hyperkinetic movement. You it literally look like they're cycling. All of you know, so they are very it's not like just shaking. They're having like the high amplitude, you know, hypermetoric seizures. So yeah, they are have high uh, uh, association with seizures, although it was it is one, but uh, I treat them. I treat them. If you were on the line, if you would please make sure in the chat box that you entered your name and the kind of credits that you're wanting in your discipline before you log off, please. I just want to catch that because people turn off. Any other question, uh, Dr. Lamb? Uh, well,
again, if you're online, if you'll please, I saw a couple people that were online that um, had names or something like that. So please fill that out. And for those of us in the room or online, if you if you're online in the chat box, there's a link for anybody that's wanting CMEs or even if you're not claiming any kind of continuing education, if you'll fill out our survey. And then make sure if you did not sign in on one of our rosters, please do so so we can just track your.